This is a Dubai Eye 103.8 podcast. This is a Dubai Eye 103.8 podcast. tuned into a completely different off script from what you had just a couple of days ago. That's it because is. from Chris and Raj in studio with you, you now have Sonal and Big Daddy Rob we're going to go with. that. Yeah, it really is new year, new us, isn't it? <laughs> it is. Or just rotation of staff members. Yes, but hopefully Rog is going to be keeping us company as, as just a bit of con- consistency and constant I over think the past so. couple yeah, of weeks. And he has. He's been like the rock. He has. He's been the anchor. He's been the lighthouse in this choppy sea that <laughs> Offscript has been navigating its way through. Rog has been our guiding beacon as over he, these few as months. As he often is, it's it's fair to say. Sometimes behind the scenes, sometimes with us in studio as well. And Was it difficult for you to peel yourself away from the agenda to, to return to your former stomping grounds? You know what? It's like it's like it never happened. It's like it was a dream, really? Rob. It's as, it's, it's as if I was here the whole time. <laughs> yeah. Somehow. No, actually, in, in all honesty, it feels like I was doing the agenda for like three months. It was only two weeks. Yeah. Why did it feel that way? It's weird that way, isn't it? It's just one of those times, uh, one of those periods in the year where things just go a bit topsy-turvy. And as you return to your favorite sort of off-script kind of websites that we tend to scour for news, <laughs> did you feel like your IQ was, you know, dissolving <laughs> before your very eyes back just, to its sort of off-script levels? You know, I think it usually takes a couple days before I start to feel that way. Yeah. But I'm sure, ask me again by the end of the week. I'm pretty sure I'll have an answer <laughs> yeah. for you on that one. How do you feel almost... One month into fatherhood. Not quite one month. Not quite. But you're, no, you're getting got that there. landmark on are, Friday. Are you going to be those parents that celebrate every month? Um, I celebrated coming into work today. I, I, <laughs> I, was, I felt like I was going on, on holiday finally. I had a bit of a hop, skip and a jump as I walked down the corridor towards the elevator heading into work. That's how I felt. Sorry, I, mean, I hope... I was Tanya's talking about listening. celebrating your baby's <laughs> monthly birthdays. If you're going to be one of those parents. But uh, well, now you're, we well, post... let's get to your celebrations. Let's do that. <laughs> Let's do that. Yeah, no. Uh, Are we going to do just annoying Instagram posts, you mean, on like, I am one month today, etc.? You know, there are parents. I'm going to just throw my sister-in-law out there for this because my my brother and my sister-in-law are in town with their two kids, where they celebrate every month to some extent, at least like singing happy birthday. I'm like, they get 12 happy birthdays in a year? No, they do not. Happy birthday. Yeah, they like sing happy birthday. Does your sister-in-law know what birthday actually... (laughs) That generally 365 days have to pass between acknowledgements of that. Well, apparently. Just because you're a baby, it doesn't mean like you get to fast track birthdays. Yeah, you know, we were like singing him happy birthday. And I'm like, it's not, it's definitely not his birthday, is no. it? <laughs> it's his like, month day. What, is, month what even is that? I don't know. What's a, that's not even an anniversary. That's yeah. just an arbitrary block of 30 days. Yeah. The answer to your question is no, I will not be acknowledging it. They'll get a first birthday <laughs> acknowledgement. That's their next one. Okay, I'm going to stay tuned to Instagram. <laughs> on January the yeah. 8th. Is that right? We turn one month Yeah, today. yeah, yeah. Exactly. Uh, I'm expecting the I'm choreographed sure that there photo might shoot. Be, Tanya might pop a cheesy photo up there. Uh-huh, yep. Yeah. And you won't, you won't repost no, that. No, I certainly wouldn't. No, no, no. No, 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 no. you wouldn't dream of it. <laughs> oh, come on, so. <laughs> come on now. How's, how's it all been going, though, so far? Uh, I know you, yeah. you kind of did this with Rog. You popped in for about two days while Chris was away. I did. So you did have a little bit of a catch-up with Brief Rog. But cameo. It, it has been about two weeks since then, so, you know. Yeah, fi- again, on. just like you, it feels like it's been about nine years, yeah. <laughs> to be honest with you. Um, so I don't know how I'm going to do today. I'm feeling unbelievably rusty when it comes to being on air. Um, it's been great. It's been great. Um, you're probably going to ask me, am I competent? Am I an adept parent? Have you made improvements? When you say parents, I mean, there's not really much you can do yeah. in the first three to four weeks. But um, the answer to your question is, I am slowly getting there. Okay. I am still 
really trying to get the hang of the various skill set that one needs to be kind of, you know, competent and adept at the sort of the general handling of a baby's day to day existence, which, let me tell you, is not particularly interesting. Um, they're doing one of three things. Yep. They are asleep. <laughs> um, they are feeding and or they are you know, with having, having some kind of bodily right. kind of function going on. I, I wasn't quite aware. And it, this has been a real shock to me. <laughs> how much gas a single baby produces <laughs> okay. at both ends of the spectrum. I'm like, is he going to go there? Yeah, no, is he going to censor this phenomenal. a little bit for radio? It's, no. it's, fun, it's unbelievable. Yeah. I mean, honestly, you could, you could power a small nuclear plant <laughs> with the amount of gas that these babies are producing. There is something like, kind of... You know, they say cows are responsible for global warming <laughs> with all the methane. I think it's babies, personally. Honestly, I've had this baby sat on my knee. It's just been farting constantly on my knee. <laughs> While I'm trying to feed it. <laughs> That's been my life for the last three weeks. Just this farting baby. <laughs> it's crazy. That's pretty much all they do, I think. Yeah, it's Enjoy really, that it's really, for another couple it's really months, all sure. they do. They, they are either constipated or they've got gas. Or what, right. one of the two, that they're, they're, in that, they're in this permanently unhappy zone of trying to move air either up or down. <laughs> <laughs> and the thing is, Zone, I'm still trying to... There's a real art form to handling babies. I, I am like, I'm on the novice. If this was like a judo or a karate belt, I, I'm like a white belt. I'm so far away from black belt. There are people that I've seen, in, 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 you know, who've come in, you know, who've helped and stuff. And, and basically anyone who's not me. Well, people who've who are, done this multiple times and helped people through it. Right? I mean, they are baby whisperers. They they are incredible. Like just the handling, the supporting of the head, the back, all that sort of stuff. Yeah. They're knowing exactly what to do to burp them, to get them to settle down, get them to set everything that I do takes exponentially longer than someone who's good at doing it, right? So when you string these together, in if you think of a normal rotation of waking the baby up, yep changing the baby's nappy, feeding the baby, settling the baby back down to sleep. Because that's essentially, you're just doing that on an endless rotation, basically. Yeah. I take It takes me exponentially longer <laughs> to accomplish all these tasks because everything I'm doing is unsettling the baby. I'm sti I am stimulating the baby, not settling the baby. But of course, you. how can you compare it to somebody who's like a doula who's done this for 200 babies? Yeah, well, yeah, exactly. And you I, gotta, I, just got to embrace really, it. Hey, I'm you know? doffing my cap to the pros out there. Yeah, exactly. I, I'm, I'm, I'm admiring. I think, honestly, this should be an Olympic sport. This is just there a sense be... of appreciation, really, for your doula or whoever is helping you oh, out. It really doing all is. That work. It yeah. really is. It's a genuine sense of appreciation. And it's just a realization that there are levels to this game. Yeah. As Julie's saying, listen, not an art form. Just fake it until you make it. And maybe your baby will get it, Rob. There you <laughs> okay. go. That's Thank you advice. very much for that. Sunil has said, congratulations on your kid. You know you're an expert expert parent when you can clip their nails. That was oh the scariest God. part for me. Oh, I'm nowhere you, near that. Rob hasn't even thought about that, Sunil. You've really just kind of put him off yeah, I don't with, know. with that I'm particular one. Years away from that. And uh, Tom's just said, it's hereditary, Rob. <laughs> <laughs> So I guess we know where they get all the yeah. sitting around and farting from yeah, yeah. is what Tom's saying, <laughs> clearly, basically. Clearly. All right, we're coming back and kicking off the new year with a big interview. Talking to a guy who's managed to live as a badger, as an otter, as a swift. It's your typical Offscript fair. The Offscript Podcast. The Big Interview with Offscript.
Okay, this is one I am really excited for you guys to hear because Charles Foster is an author. He's a barrister. He's a professor of law. He's a part-time judge. He's a former vet. He has many, many things, and he's written a number of books, but we're going to focus on one of them. This book is called Being a Beast, and in it, he attempts to live as a series of animals. Often with his eight-year-old son, he went for badger, tried fox, otter, red deer, and even swift. So those are the different animals he thought he would attempt to live and sort of infiltrate that as. Sort of real heartland, kind of UK countryside yeah. there, with his choices. Yeah, exactly. Much, so. I think that's the point. Quite a modest, solid choice of animals. Quite, quite accessible. He's not gone wolf, tiger. Yeah. You know, real kind of <laughs> off the middle shelf animals. He, he really wanted to go for it, you know, with the exception of the swift, which is, of course, airborne. We'll get to the fact that that was a little bit more challenging. Uh, but, you know, he really went for it with some of these. If you were going to live as an animal, Raj, I'm going to put this to you. What are you okay. Owl. I'm, I'm quite into owls at the moment. Okay. I saw this video of them flying over a set of microphones. So they threw a pigeon over, let a fidge, pigeon fly one. It was flap, 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 noisy, noisy, noisy. Owl, beautiful, silent flight. A absolute alpha predator. Okay. An owl for I predator. Not... An owl for predator. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I've actually thought about that recently. So, And my mum got a, an, an owl box for her partner as well. Okay. Uh, they live uh, in sort of rural countryside. And so they're hoping to get some owls in the garden. Okay. Very mm. cool. All right, Roger's a super predator. I didn't imagine that. You, Rob? <laughs> well, you'd want to choose an animal that doesn't get eaten, wouldn't yes. you? Yes. Um, because you don't want to spend your last yeah. moments being eaten by another animal. And also an animal that doesn't eat gross stuff. Yeah, I think I, I, I'm going to go into the bird's world as well. I, yeah. I'd be an eagle. Okay. They nice. mate for life, yeah. you know, so you've got that. You've got a dependent partner you can oh. rely on. Very sweet. You know, monogamous. You know, Dep- dependent partner will take care of the kids for you. a string of one-night stands. You've got a solid <laughs> dependent partner. Uh, and, you know, you, you get to see binocular vision, eight times better mm. eyesight mm-hmm. than human beings, much sharper, uh, and you get to fly. I mean, yeah. what's not to well, like about being dream. an eagle? Yeah, yeah. yeah, I mean, it is pretty cool, except when it's not. So let's get to Charles Foster <laughs> with this, because speaking of the book, Being a Beast, I started with the fact that a reviewer in The Guardian described it as one of the oddest things I've read, which I thought had to be a compliment to the author. Did he take it that way? It's a great compliment, um, but it's also a, a, a sad compliment, because what I was doing in that book was um, what almost all human beings for most of human history have been doing as their work job uh, and that is trying to enter the minds um, and the lives of non-human animals um, we had to do that for most of our life as behaviorally modern humans in order to in order to live in order to eat and so to describe that entirely normal behavior as odd shows us how far we've come from our roots the really odd thing to do is to do what we're sitting, what we're doing now, sitting in, in your case, uh, no doubt, uh, air-conditioned comfort, and in my case, centrally heated comfort. This is the really eccentric behaviour. Not not burrowing into a, a Welsh hillside trying to work out what it's like to be a badger. What made you think that you wanted to reconnect with that? That you thought I should see what it's like living as an otter. It's an inquiry into how accessible other minds are. So I think that most of us feel pretty lonely, locked up in the echoing empty spaces, which are our own heads. And we wonder if we can have a meaningful conversation with um, anyone other than ourselves. And I thought, look, if I can know 
even a tiny little bit about what it's like to be something as different from me as a badger or a fox or an otter, then perhaps I can have a conversation with my wife and my children and my best friends, which isn't at cross purposes. I love this guy. Yeah, I could tell you like this. He said, yeah, and he's, he's absolutely spot on. I mean, we have such a peculiar life these days as people. You know, we have retreated into weird, you know, I don't want to get all kind of pessimistic on the second day of a new year, but, you know, <laughs> our lifestyle now is no longer conducive to being content. You know, we, we, we've created all of these technologies that essentially have kept us prisoner in, and tormented us in some ways because we're not living as we're designed to live. That is so true, right? It's such an astute observation that he makes that it's actually crazy to think that what he did was odd when in reality what we do every single day is so far removed. Totally unnatural. Totally. Even the social spaces we've created, like mm. social media, is totally ill purpose. It's, it's not fit for purpose for how human beings are supposed to operate and live in small groups of close-knit kind of family groups, you know, 100, 150 people Villages, max. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, being exposed to thousands, millions of people, that's, that's a really bad idea for, huma- for, for people. Yeah, I totally agree. And if you're curious about what it's actually like to then embark on a journey like this, to try to live as a badger, to eat earthworms <laughs> and what they taste like, we've got all oh of that God. coming up for you. He didn't do that, did so he? So stay tuned. Welcome back to Off Script. We've been talking about living as a beast. That's because our big interview for today, our guest has an is an author of a book of exactly that. And Maria has been in touch to say, I completely agree with Rob on social media. It's doing thousands of times more bad than good for people. So definitely some opinions on that one. But let's get right back into our conversation with Charles Foster, who wrote Being a Beast. We've learned about why he was motivated to do this, to attempt to live as different animals, um, including a badger, fox, otter, red deer and swift. So I wanted to know how far did he go in terms of trying to get into the minds of these animals? Let's take a closer look at what it was like trying to live as a badger. He told me he spent a total of six weeks underground. If you put it end to end, he said a lot of it was in the Welsh woodlands. So what did the burrow look like? My mate Bertie is in the book, um, with whom I've had lots of adventures across the world, has a farm in mid Wales, and he also has a big digger. And he dug us a hole in uh, woodland, which he owns. And my son, Tom, he was eight at the time, and I went and lived in it. Um, and that involved keeping badger hours, so we were nocturnal involve going around badger eye level uh, which makes uh, our eyes pretty irrelevant but most of all it involved turning ourselves into olfactory animals using our noses because badgers don't use their eyes much Um, learning to to decode the smells learning how scent oozes from the ground in the morning rises uh, as the sun gets hotter um, bounces off trees so you've got to learn to decode the the ricocheting smells from trees um it it shrinks distance um so the smell that you're getting at your nose uh, might have come from 10 miles away um if you sniff a piece of ground um you might be getting smells from many many different time zones so you're getting in your nose all at one moment um, the smell of the gamekeeper who's just trodden on that bit of ground um, an hour ago, um, and at the same, in the same noseful, you might be getting the the scent of the rainfall which there was on that ground 
um, 60 million years ago and has been um, s seeped into the, the stone. So it, it's it's a completely different way of, of perceiving the world. Um, and we, we before we went, we tried to educate our noses in a way which would allow us to enter this completely different world. It's, it's exhilarating. Anyone can do it. He's cut away with words, <laughs> doesn't he? Can do it. Yeah. I yeah. don't know if anybody could do it, to be yeah. honest. No, no, no. I can't imagine that many people no. My would my do it. sense of smell is just not that good for no. me to be able to soak up the rain that is seeped into the stone 60 million years ago. I just have a feeling I wouldn't be able to pick that up like When Charles he said did. time zones, I didn't think we were going to go back to the Jurassic <laughs> yeah, exactly. era. I, I thought we might go back to the morning, maybe. But <laughs> That's yeah. what I thought he was going to say. That do is you know, incredible. Do you think, yeah. though, that, I mean, as he's kind of alluded to there, when you cut the sense of sight out, he's doing it at night, you, it must be intense on the nose and you're mm. down in the shrubbery, you're down in the dry leaves or the wet but, leaves or the... My incredible. question for, for me would be, what's he trying to accomplish, <laughs> you know, rooting around in all of this shrubbery at sort of 11pm? Because badgers have got a job to do. <laughs> you know, what's he actually up to? Is he doing the same work as a badger would do? Yeah, exactly. Do? <laughs> well, what, what kind of, how productive is this man really being? You know, as a badger would be rooting around for food, so was he. Because I he? asked him, was he taking some granola bars underground with him? <laughs> Turns out so. they tried to keep it authentic wherever possible, of wow. course. And that involved indulging in some less than appetizing <laughs> treats. Now, if you're a bit squeamish, I'll just, little warning, heads look, up. Look away from the radio right now. Yeah, oh, if, if you're goodness. squeamish about food items, maybe <laughs> this one's not for you. Well, we tried to eat the food which these animals ate. Um, unfortunately, British badgers like to have a diet of about 85% earthworms. We didn't have a diet of 85% earthworms, but we were eating earthworms, horrible experience. And oh. um, when you when you take them into your mouth, uh, they, they first of all try to escape, uh, not by going down deep into the dark places as you'd expect, but by trying to squeeze through the gaps in your teeth. Oh. And then uh, they give up that attempt, and then they uh, curl up under your tongue and thrash their tails round and round and round like a centrifuge um, before curling up and being swallowable. W w one of the interesting things about earthworms is the way that their taste um, changes, not only with the place that you get them from, that you'd expect. You'd expect to have uh, lovely chalky earthworms from the Chablis country in France. I mean, you expect to have sort of leathery uh, earthworms from the, the tannic uh, woodland of Wales. But um, the, the the taste changes with the seasons too. The the taste of the body is fairly similar, but the 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 taste of slime on the uh, outside of the earthworm gets sort of zesty in the spring, uh, more acidic, um, and gets slightly more musty in the autumn. <laughs> Can I ask you, did you have a straight face during this answer? Please tell me. I had to. You had to mute your own microphone. I did have to mute my own microphone. I did. Yeah, I yeah. did. I mean, I, what is this, free-range earthworms? <laughs> I kind of <laughs> recoiled back in my seat um, for a bit and just had to be a little bit away from the mic as he was describing oh, that. Oh, that's so good. Zesty. <laughs> That's, that is brilliant. It makes me think of, you know, like people that are experts. Earthworm in, course. Yeah, exactly. Sommelier for yeah. Uh, exactly. Yeah. Earthworm sommelier, you know. 
Who, who would have thought that the earthworms of France would taste different from the earthworms of the UK? But of course they do. What a beautiful description of eating these poor hapless earthworms. He, he made it almost. There was points where it sounded, oh, I'd be up for that. But no, then the mm. writhing around under your tongue the like centrifuge. a centrifuge. Yeah. No. no, no, definitely. You have to be really committed to do this not just once, but to sample the earthworms, obviously, of the different regions. Yeah, I mean, the Chablis region. Europe. Exactly. <laughs> Um, I asked him also about the stages that he went through mentally during this time, because it's six weeks, right? Living as a badger, using mostly his nose, as he said, being at badger level <laughs> in terms just, of his eyesight. Can I just here? Yeah. Imagine if you were just walking through the woods <laughs> and you stumbled <laughs> across this bloke. Would you report him to the authorities? I mean, what would you do? You would just run away as yeah. quickly as you could, right? I mean, you would just try to get away from that. You wouldn't even bother stopping to report it. If you it, saw you just... a guy rooting around in the bushes yeah, yeah. At, isla, uh, at ground level, yeah. Yeah. With, with foraging for earthworms, and you actually see him drop one into his mouth. Do you want one? Do you want to try one? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> that would really disturb you. It would be. He, he did, you know, talk about what it was like over the course of that six weeks. Of course, you first go in. He said it, felt like it takes about three or four weeks before this strange place starts to feel a bit more like home. Because the first stage, about a week, he says, is extreme discomfort and disorientation. Which you mm. might imagine. Because as he said, we're not built to crawl around on all fours and live in the dark. But eventually, it, you do start, start to kind of acclimatize to it. That for me happened when I stopped giving human labels to all the things I was experiencing. When I stopped looking at an oak tree and saying, ah, that is an oak tree. Um, And uh, immediately populating that thought with all the physiological facts I could remember about oak trees. So if you don't speak to anyone for a long time, eventually you stop using language as your main way of of trying to uh, put the world together and make sense of it and and when that happens you become more porous to the world around it bleeds into you and you bleed into it um and that's an experience rather like that of prolonged mindfulness meditation um in which the the boundary between you and the rest of the world um does seem to soften and eventually dissolve and that's very exciting so as finn has asked how do they go to the toilet uh i mean i didn't ask him that question but considering how committed he was to being like a badger i assume he went to the toilet like a badger does Mm. yeah and i would imagine he would kick the leaves back aggressively Mm. or maybe not even do that that's more of a dog thing isn't it yeah i don't know how badgers badgers go to the toilet i think they just I don't think badgers really care yeah. what they're leaving behind. I think that's the whole point. You know, the droppings are there for all to see. Exactly. And I would imagine there would be some pretty nasty surprises again if you were walking <laughs> through the woods. And poor old Charles <laughs> had been doing his business just a few moments prior. You might get a bit of a nasty shock. Yeah. And, you know, when you get used to just going freely in the wild, what is it like to come back to yeah. modern life? Because you've had this complete connection that he's described there. Do you adjust just as easily when you return back to city or urban life as if nothing has changed? I asked him how it felt very traumatic so after leaving the welsh wood i went to pick up the train and in the little town where we picked up the train little buildings seemed like skyscrapers really oppressive um it's a it's a gentle muttering little town but the the purring of the cars um seemed deafening when i got onto the train um, the, the shuddering and the jilting seemed obscenely violent. I felt that I'd lost 
lost all, all, all the subtlety which which had come to be the the, the register in which I experienced things. So I I put on a, a recording of Birdsong. It was the only way, and listened to it through through earphones. It was the only way I, which I could bear that journey. This may be hyperbole on January the second, yeah. but. I, we have to go some to get a more interesting <laughs> guest on Off Script in 2024. He's he brilliant. Is He's absolutely setting a high bar yeah. there. Yeah, I mean, when you sort of speak in in that kind of poetry and sort of general conversation without really any great effort, yeah. that it, it really is something, isn't it? He's like getting back to his family. Regular conversations felt raucous and shrill and lacking in nuance. And <sighs> he said it actually takes quite a long time to get used to. Every, every social engagement I go to feels like that for me. So I don't know, I don't know that I need to go out if I was a badger um, to experience that. We, but. We've had a text from Carrie to say, you mentioned his eight-year-old son. And mm. I, I, I've heard an interview with him where he talked about his eight-year-old son. Was he on location? Location. He, he was for yeah. parts of it, yeah. So Amazing. he did bring his children along what with him. Experience. His eight-year-old son was a badger alongside with him. I don't know if his son was with the him the whole time. time. Yeah. We didn't actually get into that. Um, and we've had another message to just say that guy has lost his mind. <laughs> <laughs> but in the best yeah. way possible, I think yeah, it's fair to say. Yeah. We're going to come back to this because we're going to have to choose, actually. There's only so much time we have here about if we want to hear about what it was like for him to be a swift or to be a fox. And also we'll get find your answers out. in. So Vote now. <laughs> I was going to put that one to you. I was going to put that one to you. for the decide. Swift. All right, but first, let's keep an eye on how it's going on the roads. I'm really pleased that everyone's as entertained by Charles Foster as I am. Seems like we've got never a lot really of people. Doubt, so. it's brilliant. <laughs> this guy is superb. You know what? Before this interview, I said, you guys really need to pay attention. You're going to love this. And I had, a, I, had, not to. I had a feeling. Um, you know, he did say that being a swift obviously was the most challenging animal. I think Edwin, it is, said, what is that even? It's a bird. It's a bird. Yeah. So what did he do? He ended up uh, paragliding a lot. He did the mi- migration route and actually traveled there, not paragliding, but he would travel there by plane to some of the different routes right. um, and actually go to those places that the swifts were going a to. swift abroad. He was a swift abroad, exactly. He needs you as his marketing guy. Um, but he would also paraglide. He'd spend time up in the trees. Um, oh, wow. You know, so he'd do stuff like that to, to be a swift. That was a bit difficult for sure. Um, but he said in terms of the ones that he felt the most immersed as or the closest to what he was trying to achieve, for him it was this. Fox. It's a very easy question. So there was a moment in... The East End of London, where we lived at the time, when I came face to face with a fox. Um, he was a few feet away, and uh, I looked at him, and he looked at me, and I knew that the type of bond which I felt with him was a bond which he felt about me too, and that was um that was a great moment, and it made me relate to the fox in a way that I, I hadn't related to the other animals, which was a biologically intelligent thing to do as well because uh, foxes like us are great sensory all-rounders we have fantastic hearing sight a sense of smell although we don't um, tend to use um, any sense other than our sight and foxes do too they're not for example olfactory specialists like badgers are and so if we can learn to walk through the streets of Dubai or the East End of London as a fox walks through it with all our senses uh, switched on, um, then we will live far more satisfactory in those places than we do. So foxes can be great tutors for us. Uh, they can, uh, if we follow them properly, jerk us out of the, the tyranny of our vision, uh, the tyranny of our cognition. 
It's something I've never thought about. The fact that we have all these senses, as he says, almost at least five, but probably more. Um, and that we do. We rely on our sight an awful lot, don't we? Mm. Much more so than yeah. than most others. I haven't really thought about it, but yeah. yeah. I find when I'm walking the dogs, if I don't have my headphones in, if for whatever reason I've forgotten my headphones and I'm not listening to, to a podcast, I enjoy and remember them walk much more. Huh. Even if I'm just walking the same streets that I normally walk. Right. So you hear more, you're just, you're just more immersed in it. So yeah. Yeah. He's got a point. Uh, and he, you know, pointed out that if we broaden the scope of the way we're getting information about the world, we would feel a lot more at home in the world, which is kind of right. what you described just there. Yeah. Even with something as simple as a dog walk in an urban yeah. environment. And I, I spoke to Charles about how he feels he's changed throughout this experience. He says he hopes he's more empathetic, for one. But another thing that he feels is a more acute awareness about who we really are. I hope that I see myself as a wild creature all the time. Um, the, the American naturalist and philosopher David Abraham has a very good way of putting this. He says, uh, there are only ever relatively unwild places. So if you walk through a shopping mall, it's a wild place and you are a wild creature in it. And um, you will be happier and more fulfilled in that shopping mall if you realize those things. So if you, if you leave a banana out in a shopping mall for a few days, it will be covered with a uh, an efflorescence of bacteria and fungi. In your gut, there's a huge mass of constantly fermenting bacteria and fungi over which you have no control, but which are uh, essential for your life. So to, to, to see oneself as an, an ecosystem in ecosystems, I hope makes you more humble. Um, I hope it underlines your dependence a, a joyous, exuberant sort of dependence. Um, I hope it suppresses your hubris. Um, it's it's made me more uh, suspicious of the role of language. So I'm a money by writing books about how inadequate books are, um, about how language necessarily misrepresents uh, the, the wonder and the colour and the charisma of the world. I have to challenge Charles on that one point he made okay. about shopping malls because over the Christmas period, I was in Mall of the Emirates doing my last ditch Christmas shopping. And you know the travelators. And you're about to tell me this is not a wild place. <laughs> oh, yeah, it can be. Is that be. where your story is going? <laughs> it can be, but my goodness me, I'm on the travelator. Yeah. Okay. Massive pet peeve. There's about 30 people. This thing is going down at a 10 degree angle <laughs> and they're all standing stock still waiting to be transported to where it is going. Use your legs, people, yes. for what they were designed to yes. do. You exactly. lazy bleeps. Whoa, whoa. You know? Right. Oh my God, I was, I, was go I was literally, I was blocked. It was a two-way travelator. But you're talking and about the ones that there were just pairs go of people. There wasn't, no one's even leaving a, a for people left. who want to actually walk, yeah. who, who enjoy you know, the, 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 the wonder of walking, no one even left a space for one to pass through. You were, on a, you were on a stationary travelator. <laughs> yep. uh, I mean, there's something very depressingly unwild about that. Yeah, well, I guess, that's, I guess that's his point, is that we should remember we are wild because we too easily forget. Mm, we have. You know? Yeah, yeah we absolutely exactly. forget that we're actually wild beings. And we've gotten used to this sedentary lifestyle of yeah. looking at our screens and you know, being attached to our computers and our smartphones. 
Thought-provoking stuff, so It really is. If you want to tune in, we're going to have that on our podcast, of course. So big thank you to Charles Foster, the author of Being a Beast, for joining us on Off Script. He's also got a number of other books that we didn't even get to scratch the <laughs> surface with, including just... Being a Human. So we did also live as the different stages of human, including hunter-gatherer. So, so, so oh, many different sort of experiments that he's done. Khalid has been in touch to say that fox he had the moment with was probably thinking, who is this idiot? <laughs> <laughs> So basically, that fox that met him in an urban environment is thinking exactly what you're thinking when you see him as a beaver out in the woods. I think it's fair to say. Now, for a lot of people who celebrate the festive season and Christmas, gift giving is a big part of that. Did you get any good gifts this year? We kitted the kitchen out between us. We didn't specifically buy. (laughs) Adult. (laughs) That's That's the most 40-year-old man gift you could ever say. We kitted the kitchen out. Living life on the edge there, right? It's, yeah. it's, it, we were really, really pleased with our gifts that we bought each other, but it was like a, a collective effort. Yeah. What did you, what did you do in the kitchen? Um, you know the brand Smeg? Yep. We've gone Smeg. Oh, very nice. <laughs> okay. I, I totally don't judge right, that anymore. So I get it. I, I officially get it. Uh, we're going to be talking about how the super rich do their gifting and yet be prepared for a little Robbie rant. The Offscript Podcast. First of all, you were kind of judging, as I was, Roger's kitchen upgrade. Did you Did you get a good gift this year? Oh, no. I, I went gift-free this year. Oh, come on. No, that's, we just copped out that's completely. A mo- well, I guess fair enough. Mm. As long as it doesn't become like you, a Are you, you going to try and make me say something cheesy about having the greatest gifts I could possibly wish for? <laughs> that's what I was expecting actually, to say. I actually didn't, wasn't even thinking that, yeah. but you should actually say <laughs> yeah, something about that. I had the greatest gifts I could Aww. possibly wish for <laughs> this we were, Christmas. We were actually just talking about how you have identical twins <laughs> and if you can tell them apart. Yes. Do they actually like name tag them so that you can tell them apart? When they were born, they were very easy to tell apart. Um, they actually looked quite different. I was to be to the point where I wanted to send them back and go, "Are you sure these are ours?" Kind <laughs> you of told thing. me yeah, I was yeah, getting yeah. identical <laughs> twins. <laughs> yeah, are, they, are you sure they're identical? Uh, they are converging though. Um, they, they're, they're definitely looking a lot more similar the older they get. Right. Um, but uh, yeah, I, I don't quite know the how the whole sort of genetics thing works. I think one of them got a bit more when they were, you know, in the womb than the other. Yeah. Was a bit bigger, a bit plumper, mm-hmm. could easily tell apart. Now they're kind of starting to look very similar. Right. Yeah, it's weird. Oh, it's weird. It's going to be so interesting. Can't wait to come see them. Yes. Yeah, we'll have you over very soon. We will do that soon. All right. One of the things that we noticed, though, over the course of the last few days are some of the gifts that celebrities yeah. give each other. I'm going to have a bit of a winch here. Um, again, uh, more on the coverage of this particular story than the actual act itself, but I've, I've still got a couple of problems with the act itself as well, because is it, and that's something I haven't really thought about before, but when super rich people buy gifts for one another, there seems to be this, this strange emptiness about the gesture. You know, like this, this kind of like, at what point does lavishing an absurd gift on someone really demonstrate your thoughtfulness, right. your, yeah. you, you know, your, you, you kind of really, we know you've got loads of money. Okay, here's the story, okay? Cristiano Ronaldo has been praised, uh, as, as always, it's of course he always, I mean, Cristiano Ronaldo gets out of bed and he gets Can't praised. Wrong. Uh, the man can do no wrong in the eyes of many people, but he's bought his mum a brand new Porsche for her 69th birthday and he presented this to her with a big ribbon, as you, as you always do, Whenever you buy a car for someone, I find that it's essential that you have an enormous, <laughs> rather grotesque ribbon, True. which which is so pointless because you've <laughs> got to cut it just to even get into the car. So it's just it's one of those very pointless things. What are you going to do? Wrap it? 
Like, you know it's a car. Why is there a ribbon around it? That, to me, is so odd. It's like, either wrap the damn thing and make them unwrap it. Don't just go halfway and put a ribbon around it just to go, oh, here's your gift. Anyway. This was not the part of the story I thought you took issue with. Good to know that you could take issue with multiple parts. I realise there's another part I took issue with. I said this to you guys in the office. I said, Ronaldo's bought his mum a Porsche. And Rog thought I said, Ronaldo's bought his mum a Porsche. (laughs) Which, of course, is a new kind of front of house arrangement and, and we all agreed sit. it's a nice thing for us we all to agreed do. that for, for a 69 year old mum it's a lot more appropriate to yeah. buy her a porch than a porsche so we, we yeah. can take issue with that um she loved it of course she um, did because that's my question and i don't want to be sort of stereotyping on age on the basis of this but is that necessarily something she wanted or something he wanted for his own image um you it, know again there's probably multiple things at play here um <laughs> You know, my my first question was, what was she driving previously? A Nissan Sunny? You know, (laughs) what is she upgraded from? You would assume that being the mother of Ronaldo, (laughs) who is worth north of a billion quid, that you're not... It's not like you're... You're, you're, you're kind of going to the shops in, in some clapped out old 2002, you know, banger. You, you've got a probably quite a nice car, I would imagine. Yeah. How much of an upgrade is this Porsche? That's my first question. Hmm. That's left unanswered by this article. Um, is it really as thoughtful as you can possibly be? Just, I mean, talk about throwing money at a problem. What shall I get mum for New Year's Eve? Just going to buy her a Porsche. That's not going to make a dent in the bank account. Ronaldo's had his people do that. Someone's done that for him. Yeah. Someone he has, hasn't had to pick so, something He has not. Thought. And yeah. why are people impressed by this? I don't, you know, like we, we you've got the ability to do that. Has, how much thoughtfulness has that really demonstrated? Because his sister jumps on and she says um, it, it, it's um, she's happy because her son remembers her and not because of the value of the gift. Do we really need to be lavishing praise on Ronaldo for, quote, remembering his, mo- his mother? <laughs> I mean, uh. I mean, again, it's just uh, and it sort of it made, made me realize that, like, you know, all these celebrity gifts, that, where it's just like, it's a game of one-upmanship. Yep. Yeah. You know, you buy your daughter a $25,000 Gucci bag when she's six years old. I mean, it's, That upsets me. It's so Especially ridiculous. Especially with the kids, because it's like yeah. you're setting them up for that and giving them, setting those values for their life. Where'd you go from there? Right? Yeah. And yeah. that's, you know, yeah, that upsets me is when people give like the, the diamonds and the Gucci bags to their like. 10 year old kids and I say this I am a, a terrible gift giver by the way I'm very I, I'm not thoughtful um, I, I don't I don't specialise in really well thought out presents or anything like that I, I'm certainly not preaching from a pulpit here I'm just Sounds saying like we, you are, though. we don't need to be getting over excited <laughs> about an insanely rich bloke buying his mum a car Am I, am, I, am I saying something? No, I kind of yeah. wonder. I always see but, this as well with like celebrity couples when it's like uh, on Instagram. Some rap couple usually will be like, look at these <laughs> diamonds. And I just think she could have bought 10 of those for herself. Yes. Because she's rich enough to do that. How much does that really mean? Like, are you just going to forget about that in about three days? I would you know how much value definitely. does that really have yeah. when you have that much money? However, and I, I, I thought to myself, you know what? Second day of the year, I'm going to challenge myself to find some genuinely thoughtful celebrity gifts. Okay. And there are some, in fact, way more thoughtful than you can ever possibly imagine giving these celebrities credit for. Here are some celebs who got it right. And when I say got it right, I mean, some of them tried to get it right and didn't get it right, as we'll reveal. This one, though, I probably only really included this because it's about golf. <laughs> but did you know that DJ Khaled 
is a massive, massive fan of golf. So much so, by the way, that he was recently included in the today's golfer top 100 most influential people in golf list. DJ Khaled. Really? Yeah. I did not know that. I'm surprised no. you haven't read it. that top 100. I know. I'm so, he loves so surprised his golf. I haven't come across that piece of information. <laughs> he loves his golf. And if you love your golf, I, I, I know this as well as anyone. Traditionally, birthdays, Christmas, you get a lot of golf tees, you get some golf balls, you get some golf socks, paraphernalia. All yeah. good stuff. Uh, all good stuff. Um, Diddy, however, is well aware that DJ Khaled loves his golf. How's this for a thoughtful present? Um, he bought him a fully kitted out bling golf cart <laughs> with the finest speakers that money can buy um, it, it's it's described as being presented in a slick peanut butter color okay i would describe that color a different way yeah the, the image i've got of peanut butter. i would say sick yeah. rather than slick yeah. Yeah. <laughs> baby puke um and uh, it's top of the range. So I mean, what a lovely gift. Just imagine going down to the golf course and you see somebody in a totally blinged out. But you know what? He's, he's rather than just call up Port, the Porsche dealership and go, get my mate DJ yeah. Khaled, yeah. the latest KN, right? It's something that he knew he he's, would like. He's thought to himself, what can I really do, you know, to really make an impression with this guy? And he's kitted out. He's, he's done a little MTV. What was that show that was presented? Prince. by uh, ride. Put my ride exhibit, yeah. exhibit. Yeah. brilliant. He's, he's pimped his ride. Yeah. <laughs> are, are the speakers allowed on the golf course, though, Rob? As a, yeah, you I mean, more, DJ more, more. Now, now, you. That, now that golf is cool, Rog. Yeah, you know, nice, um, nice. music is blaring out of many a speaker. Is that right? On the golf course, if somebody was going to pimp your golf ride, what would you want? What's the, what are yeah. some features that you'd like? Ah, uh, oh, you've put me on the spot here. Salad holder. You've, for never, his daily you've salad. never thought about it. Something to protect your food from the crows. Trim. Oh, great idea! Trim. Yeah, a nice. Little, that's such a practical thing, isn't it? <laughs> not not like woof subwoofer speakers, but a, a crow protector. <laughs> you know, a little plastic kind of cover. But yeah, you're right. Yeah. That, that would be vital. Right. Um, a big cup holder, yeah. like a really solid nice. one. Nice, nice yeah. cushiony seats. Okay. Think good, good, comfy seats. A ludicrously Color. capacious cup holder. Yeah. Perhaps. Yeah. Yeah. But it's quite sad. These uh, compared to DJ Khaled's, this sounds like a pretty boring cart so far. <laughs> I'll have to think more about this. Uh, but moving on, I want to tell you about Tom Hanks, who is a collector of vintage typewriters. Yes. Now he doesn't hoard them. He ensures they go to good homes where they'll be cared for with a bit of added de decor. He puts his signature on them. Um, that's how the Philly typewriter wound up with a Hanks signed piece for their Please Touch Museum of Typewriters. Oh, that's quite nice. That's very nice, isn't I it? I did know that he was into typewriters yeah. and he's an Talks author as well. Lot. He writes books. Mm. Um, so, yeah, that's quite nice. That's clearly somebody who has a genuine love for it. Now, I don't know whether you recall this from a few years back. This one, I think, will go down as well-meaning, but miss the mark. <laughs> this little gift uh, and it, it was um, given by none other than Kanye West now a few years back he gifted his then wife Kim Kardashian a hologram of her late father Robert Ooh. okay now the hologram told Kardashian um, in fact told the whole family that he's watching over them he was then programmed to dance to a tune they listened to when he used to drive her to school Oh. He, commended, he commended her accomplishments, her decision to pursue a law degree and carry on his legacy. He also said this. You married the most, 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 most genius man in the whole world, oh, no. Kanye West. I miss you all. Don't forget to say your prayers. So 
He's ruined so, it. I don't know what all, to make of this. It's really that. kind of creeping me it's out. It's very for one. strange yeah. for a start. She apparently loved it. She wrote, he got such a thoughtful gift of a lifetime. A hologram of my dad. It's so lifelike. We watched it over and over, filled with emotion. So listen, if he knows that, if he read her, that she would appreciate that kind of a gift, yeah. who are we to sit and judge it? I would find it totally weird and disturbing. I'm sure many other people would as well. There are other, probably some people who would be touched by it. I don't think a hologram can really do anything other than creep you out would be my well, initial I guess reaction. Some people like that reminder of, of somebody who's passed, I suppose. Uh, but. Uh, people are going crazy for the ABBA stage show, which the existing ABBA are replaced by holograms of mm. the old ABBA. That's that's going down really well, but I don't know if I'd want my dad to, to, throw to in come along. An and... empty, to throw in just a cheesy sales pitch about her husband. Oh, that, yeah, that's that's the, that's the, that's to program the hologram, that's a whether clanger. it's a joke. Or, the Could thing have is, been sweet, it's but probably not it, a joke. He? Yeah, no. <laughs> Definitely not, not a joke. joke. <laughs> Definitely yeah. not a joke. To be that thoughtful and then to just totally ruin it by being that sort yeah. of self-involved. No. Interesting one. Now, we're going to go back a few centuries here, so to, to some celebrities of bygone eras. You're going to love this one. Uh, Pope Clement VII's unicorn horn. Okay? I now, hope this is a real unicorn horn. Nowadays, if you get a gift from the Pope, I've read this, um, you know, this is probably quite a niche kind of group of people who would yeah. receive. Uh, let us know if you have received a gift from a Pope. Um, <laughs> do, do get in touch and tell us about it on 4001. Um, but, you know, chances are it's going to be some kind of historical religious relic. Okay? That should, that should go to... That's what you would expect. That should go to Pope gift. Right? Back in the day, Popes were a lot more creative. They were handing out pieces of things that never even existed. For example, in 1533, Pope Clement VII reportedly, I love that. Who's reporting on this? <laughs> reportedly, as, as reported by what paper? Gifted France, uh, Francis I, King Francis I of France, a unicorn horn, which apparently was mo most likely to be a narwhal horn. Oh, yeah. Um, in honour of his niece's wedding. But he's overselling that. He's calling it a unicorn horn when it's a, just call it. An, I mean, not, finding a narwhal horn in 1533 is impressive enough. Absolutely. Yeah. If you can come across a narwhal horn in 1533. You've gone, gone some. You've gone some yeah. in terms of thoughtfulness. No need to call it a unicorn. Don't, don't <laughs> overreach. No need to style it up as a unicorn horn. Yeah, I know. And just imagine poor King Francis I going around showing everybody his unicorn horn yeah. and everybody thinking he's a dummy. Yeah, absolutely. You know? Although yeah. maybe. So gullible. Maybe, you know. Maybe people did buy into it a lot more than they, they do now. Um, this one's a bit weird. We're talking about re-gifting here. Henry VIII. Now, how would you feel? His gift is just letting you keep your head, isn't it? <laughs> Very good. Yeah. Yes, absolutely. Like you if are you survive allowed... a marriage with him, that's yep. the best gift you'll ever receive. Exactly. Don't you dare um, say you don't like this gift because... <laughs> <laughs> Can you imagine how, how uncomfortable yeah. his yeah. wives would have oh, felt on their birthdays and Christmas? Yeah. Uh, it's, it's brilliant. <laughs> Cheers. <laughs> Every um, gift is the best one I've ever received, ever. Now, how, how, else, how else would you feel about being gifted something that was gifted to a previous spouse oh, no. of your oh, husband? No. Okay, Because that's exactly what Henry VIII did. Uh, complicated when it comes to re-gifting, you know? Yeah. Uh, I, I think the general rule of thumb is you can only re-gift if the person receiving it has zero clue that it was ever a gift for someone else in of the first course. place. Yeah. Okay? Yeah. Yeah. Right. yeah, of course. Right. So this is a no-no, okay? 
You don't now, gift something when somebody knows it's regifted. There has to be a little bit of sort right. of illusion or farce around it. Now, think of the sheer pomposity of Henry VIII here. Because according to um, the book, Catherine Howard, The Tragic Story of Henry VIII's Fifth Queen, the then queen received many gifts when they got married. Uh, she received jewels. Um, she received uh, also a gorgeous book that was gold enameled and garnished with eight small rubies. Sounds beautiful, doesn't it? It does sound really nice. Unfortunately, there was an inscription in the book addressed to his third wife, Jane Seymour. Oh, Henry. So she was, she was receiving a hand-me-down from a wife that he would later divorce. Did he, did he just scratch out Jane and write, <laughs> yeah. write Catherine's name in? There's he like two little did. cross outs. Oh, no. Yeah, he probably did. He got the engraver in. And there was just a line through <laughs> Jane Seymour. Um, and also, if you're Catherine, you're already on tenterhooks because you're his fifth wife. Yeah. Oh. And two of them have already been executed. No, no, in fact, sorry, only one had been executed at this point, hadn't they? Uh, she was actually the second uh, because um, the book was definitely not a lucky charm for her. <laughs> she was executed for adultery two years after tying the knots with her darling Henry. Oh. Um, oh. A final one, just a really quick one, final one. Massive off-script salute this, not for the first time, to the one and only... Dolly Parton, She's who can do no wrong. She's brilliant. Really. Um, many celebrities obviously use their wealth uh, to, to give these extravagant, extravagant gifts. Some, like Dolly, do send gifts to those in need. Amongst her many charitable endeavours is something called the Imagination Library, which mails free, high-quality books to children uh, from birth to age five, no matter their family's income. The, the charity recently celebrated having gifted more than 200 million books to date. Oh, legacy. She is the absolute best. I mean, that to me beats a Porsche oh for your mum who already drives a Range Rover. <laughs> exactly. I agree <laughs> with you. Abdusalam also in touch on the text line saying, you can re-gift love you once gifted to your previous spouse. And then has also gone on to say, being nice to celebrities does not fit you well, Rob. Back to oh, normal service, yeah. Sorry, yeah, I promise that was a brief departure. It was a one and done. Norm. Yeah, one and done. You there. won't hear that one again. The Offscript Podcast. We hope that you enjoyed this episode. Please do go ahead and click subscribe. You can also check out our other podcasts, Time Capsule or The Big Interview. Find it wherever you get your podcasts. You've been listening to a Dubai Eye 103.8 podcast. To enjoy lots more from Dubai Eye in the United Arab Emirates, just go to DubaiEye1038.com or find them wherever you normally get your podcasts.